Alrighty, uh, let's go ahead and get started. I'll open this up in prayer and mute everyone. Let's pray. Our merciful and generous Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. We ask now that you would be with us, open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear, uh, that we might again know your great love for us as you have stooped low to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, give us understanding, give us compassion, and give us embodied faithfulness uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, so the last three weeks, we have been grappling with what went wrong with the image of God and human beings. Uh, why human nature now operates out of scarcity instead of abundance. Uh, we've seen uh, the corruption of the various aspects of the image of God, um, namely the mind, the heart, and the will. Um, all of it has gone wrong. Uh, there was an incredible damage done to the image of God, and it all started back in the garden. We kept going back to that old story where the serpent uh, strategically attacked the generous image that God gave to humans. As uh, soon as the woman and the man ate from the forbidden tree, the whole world turned upside down. Uh, things have never been the same since then. Uh, so that's what went wrong. The image of God is now marred and controlled by fear of scarcity. Uh, as you know, God's will is not to leave man in his a state of misery, as our confession states it. Uh, in these final three weeks we have together, uh, we want to examine God's solution to our corrupt image, uh, to our image problem. Uh, we want to answer questions like, how, how did God undo all the damage that the serpent and Adam and Eve created? Or what did the Lord do to restore or renew the image of God and humankind? Uh, what does this renewal look like? How does it change the way we think, the way we love, and the way we relate to one another with our will? Uh, this morning, we are focusing on God's restoration of the mind, the renewal of the mind. Uh, but yet again, we do this knowing that it's a distinction, not a separation from the other aspects of the image of God. Uh, the restoration of the mind also affects the heart and the will. Uh, and so keep those two other aspects, even as we talk about uh, the renewal of the mind this morning. Uh, so here's the big idea for us this morning, and it's simply this. Jesus Christ, as the true prophet of God, is restoring in human beings the abundant mindset of God. Uh, I'll say that again. Jesus Christ, as the true prophet of God, is restoring in human beings the abundant mindset of God. If we can sum up the answer to the problem of our brokenness, our image problem, uh, we could do it with, with one word. And that word is gospel. Uh, so before we talk about the restoration of the mind, uh, we have to spend some time looking at the gospel because the gospel 
is the context of all of restoration and renewal that, that takes place in us. Uh, gospel is a word that we throw ar around a lot. We often use it as a catchphrase for all kinds of things. Gospel-centered community, gospel commu uh, committees, gospel work, gospel vision, gospel this, gospel that. Uh, it's a good word. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful word. Uh, but we can't take it for granted. Uh, I think if we overuse it, it will be it will begin to lose some of its meaning. Uh, what I want us to do here is to really be as precise as we can. So I'll open it up and ask this question. What exactly does the word gospel mean and what exactly is it? So I'll go ahead and unmute everyone. What does the, the word gospel mean and... Mean and Anybody? Anybody? Good news. It's the entire story about how Jesus became the saving king. Anybody else? <coughs> what is the gospel? If you know, if I was an unbeliever. And I was to say, you guys always talk about this word. You always say this word. What does it mean to you? God be merciful to me, a sinner. What is it? God be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, okay. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's the restoration of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Okay. Anybody else? This is your chance to... Articulate the gospel in front of everyone. It's the good news that our sins have been covered and that um, we are saved through Christ. It's, it's good news. Good news. Okay. All right. I'm going to go ahead and mute everyone. Yeah, I know this is a very Sunday school question. It's probably the Sunday school of all Sunday school question. What is the gospel? Uh, but it's definitely worth our time to slow down and consider it because the gospel is so fundamental to our faith. Uh, we have no hope without it. It's a simple message that a child can understand, uh, but it will take eternity to plumb its depth. And if we get this right, I think we'll understand more clearly how the Lord has restored uh, the image in us. So I think this is where we have to do some groundwork. Uh, the word gospel comes from the Hebrew word basar or, uh, or the Greek word euangelion, which means, as um, people were saying earlier, good news. Um, I don't know if you know this, but gospel is actually a military term. It, it's when the war has been won and someone comes back to announce the victory on the battlefield, right? So there's good news. But what is that good news? I like how one writer describes it. He says, the gospel is the power releasing story of Jesus's life, death for sins, resurrection, and installment as king. 
It's Jesus' story set in the context of the story of Israel and creation. I think he's exactly right. Uh, notice that this good news is not in the first instance anything that we do. It's what Jesus the King came to do. It's an announcement of his story, of his victory. We are mere participants of that story. I think we all know the contents of that story, of Jesus' story, uh, but let me rehearse uh, them for us for the sake of clarity, right? Um, Jesus' story should be very familiar to all of us. And so here, here are just eight things for us to consider in the gospel, because without these things, we don't have a, a true gospel. So one, that Jesus preexisted with the Father. Uh, two, he took on flesh, fulfilling God's promises to David. Uh, three, he died for sins in accordance with the scriptures. Four, he was buried. Five, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, six, he appeared to many after he was resurrected. Uh, seven, he is seated at the right hand of God as Lord. And finally, he will come again as our judge and king. Uh, if you listen closely to those, you'll see that these elements, all of these elements are found in the ancient creeds of the church. I encourage you to read some of those uh, creeds sometime today. The, the, they're the ecumenical creeds, right? Like the, like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Uh, and so the gospel has been articulated early in the history of the church. And it continues to be handed down to us even to this day. I think that speaks to the ongoing faithfulness of our God uh, to continually pass down uh, the message of Christ and his gospel for us. It's something to rejoice in because we don't believe in just another fad. It's an enduring message we can cling to. Uh, now, the ancient ecumenical creeds uh, you know, they, they all have uh, that substance, but, but this message goes back even further than that. Uh, the gospel was in the eternal plan of God. There was never a time when God did not have his eyes set on sending his only begotten son into the world to rescue sinners from sin and enthrone him as the king of the universe. There was never a time. From eternity to eternity, that was God's plan all along, that he might be all in all. Uh, but as it unfolds in history, the gospel has been around since it was first announced in the garden. Uh, last time we saw this from Genesis 3.15, right? After the fall of Adam, God announced, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Last time we called that the Proto-Euangelion, uh, which means the first good news. Uh, we see that good news in the long history of God's people afterwards. It's in the patriarchs, it's in the kings, it's in the prophets, it's in Israel. Uh, but it remained hidden and mysterious as the scriptures tell us, until the mystery was finally unveiled in the coming of the Son of God in the flesh, uh, crucified and raised from the dead on the third day. 
as Paul says, what happened in that Christ event was all in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, this is one of those passages that we should hide in our hearts as we read scripture, right? Uh, especially as we we're reading the Old Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as a first importance what, uh, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, in other words, that gospel was already contained in the scriptures of Israel, uh, what we call the Old Testament. Uh, and it was fully unveiled in the coming of God in Christ. Uh, the church now basks in that unveiled mystery. Jesus Christ fully unveiled for Jews and Gentiles to receive him as Savior and Lord. Uh, let me tie this in to our theme then. The gospel is so significant because it is only in and through it do we receive all of God's generosity. Uh, because Jesus Christ is not only an expression of God's generosity, but Jesus is the fountainhead of all generous blessing that comes from God. He is the ultimate blessing and source of blessing. So apart from him and his gospel, we won't truly know God's generosity for us. Uh, so what does the gospel of Jesus Christ have to do with the restoration of the generous image of God? I think to answer this, uh, we have to examine again Jesus's identity. Uh, yes, we know that he is the God-man. He is both fully divine and fully human. Uh, but scripture also designates him as the image of God. Uh, Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Colossians 1.15. This means Jesus is the original image of God. Uh, in other words, he's not a mere copy or representative of the image of God like us. Uh, Jesus is the true and perfect and prototype image. He is the reality in which our image points to, uh, which means that Adam was made after Jesus's image. Uh, that's why Adam, according to Paul, was a type of the one who was to come. Uh, so, as the first and authentic image of God, Jesus establishes for us the perfect heavenly pattern. And so the question is, how are we stamped more and more accurately after Jesus' image? Uh, well, it's only in and through the gospel. It's only in and through his coming, right? The original image himself came that he might reconfigure us in his own glorious image because nothing else, nothing less will do. Uh, the gospel is the means by which God restores us in his image. Uh, but not only does he restore us, he ultimately perfects us in his image. Uh, it was the intended goal all along with Adam and Eve. And it's his goal with us. We are not yet perfectly made into his image. And there's this process, ongoing process of renewal and restoration. 
God's goal was always to make us like the true image, Jesus Christ. Uh, this is why Paul says later on in Colossians, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, so according to Paul, the new image uh, which we receive in the gospel is in the process of renewal until we obtain complete likeness of our creator. Uh, our knowledge is being renewed, Paul says. Uh, that's what we are after this morning, right? Uh, we want to see that knowledge renewal. We want to begin to see what that mind uh, renewal looks like. And, and I would argue that part of what that looks like is having a generous mindset like Jesus Christ. We've learned that that humans now have a scarcity mindset uh, because of the attack of the serpent in the garden. He first, firstly attacked the truth of God. Uh, the serpent was crafty and he sneakily questions um, uh, to Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Uh, then he ramps up his 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 question and 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 he straight up tells eve you will not surely die for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil there was the attack right the serpent attacked the truth of god god's word and as soon as eve and adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the human mind shriveled into a scarcity mindset. Now it thinks of taking for itself rather than sharing from what it generously receives from the Lord. How does God then overturn our false way of thinking? How does he overturn it? Well, to answer this question, we have to look to Jesus's office as God's true prophet. Uh, what's a prophet? I'll go ahead and, and uh, unmute everyone. What's a prophet? Proclaimer of God's word. Proclaimer of God's word. Okay, that's, that's definitely uh, a prophet's role. Okay. I would say a, a prequel <laughs> to... Christ before he came to earth fulfilling these particular prophecies. Wait, say that again. You, are you saying before Christ came, um, became incarnate, he was a... Yes, and then Christ came later to fulfill what was prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. Okay. Anybody else? All right, I'm going to go ahead and, and mute everyone again. Yeah, uh, it's someone who speaks the truth of God, right? A prophet was a messenger of God who confronted the lies of sin and called people to repentance 
that they might find mercy in, in Christ. Uh, no wonder real prophets weren't liked in Israel. Uh, many prophets came before Jesus, but Jesus was unique uh, because in Jesus we find in him the message of God and the messenger of God coalescing. Uh, in other words, Jesus is both the message and the messenger. Uh, the Son of God, um, God himself, came down to confront the lies of the serpent. Um, I was reading this from Pastor Brett um, from the membership book uh, a couple of days ago. He said, if death came into the world through lies, it makes sense that life would come through the truth. Uh, isn't that exactly what we find in the gospel? We find Christ speaking the abundance of God to his people. We find him speaking the truth to them. Uh, but, but Jesus is not simply speaking the truth. Jesus is the truth himself who came, to, who came down to testify. Uh, that in his gospel, in his coming, we do not find a stingy God. That is the truth. We find a God of generosity, rather. And if you think about it, that was Adam's role back in the garden. Uh, he was to be a prophet and was given the task uh, to stick with the truth at all costs, to, to believe and cling to, G, uh, to God's word, uh, to proclaim the generosity of God as the kingdom of God expands. Uh, but we all know what happened. He, he failed. Uh, his failure resulted in, in a scarcity mindset. Uh, the gospel reverses that failure. And so that the result of Christ's prophetic success was the restoration of an abundant, abundant mindset. Uh, the truth himself came down and became the way of abundance to the Father, uh, that, that we might have life. Uh, Jesus says he is, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There's the overturning, right? The truth himself being coming the way for us by taking on flesh, dying on a cross, and now seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. In that way, we find life. That's the overturning. Uh, when when we make our way to the Father through the gospel, through Christ as the truth of God. And so the result is no longer should we fear scarcity. Then we can think like James, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So I'm going to go ahead and pause there and see if you guys have any comments or just kind of reflections before we move on. Go ahead and unmute everyone. Unmute everyone. Any, any comments? Any comments? It made me sort of think about um, just with what you were saying about 
um, prophets, God's, uh, Christ's role as, as a prophet, uh, it made me think of Second Timothy, where it talks about um, chapter 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And you and I had sidelined once and, and talked about how there's an, the aspect of scarcity that is our thinking that lacking integrity, lacking wholeness, lacking completeness, um, and not merely, you know, like you've been saying, not merely with possessions, but scarcity touches on what we think about God's grace too, that there's not enough of it for us. We haven't received enough. Um, for the good works that the Lord has prepared for us. And, and it just made me think of that, that God's word, um, the truth that you're talking about, that is what makes the man of God complete. That completes us and equips us um, and corrects that scarcity. Yeah. <clears throat> that's, that's really congruent with the gospel, right? Because the word, the word comes down that we might receive that word and that word continues to shape us out of that scarcity mindset that we might find the wholeness in the truth in God's word. In God's word. Um, yeah, anybody else? Um, yeah, anybody else? Can keep it worship at home or in small groups? And then retain online sermons. Okay. Okay. Go ahead and mute everyone. Go ahead and mute everyone. Uh, we've seen so far that the, the good news, the gospel, overturns our scarcity mindset. And specifically, we've seen that it's in the work of Christ as our true prophet, uh, where we see this overturning happen, uh, where lies are overcome by the truth, and where the generous truth of God uh, is privileged, and where the generous truth of God is privileged, in the mind over the fear of scarcity. Um, but let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4 for a second, if you have your Bible. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 4. Uh, Paul says there, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Uh, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Uh, for Paul, the minds of unbelievers can't see the light of the gospel story of Jesus. Uh, to them, it's not a compelling story. It doesn't move them. They see it as foolishness. Uh, and notice what, what detail Paul adds regarding Jesus. He says, Jesus is the image of God. Uh, why does Paul add that detail? Uh, he could have said Christ, who is the son of God, Christ, who descended from David, and so forth. Uh, but he doesn't. He says Christ, the image of God, who is the image of God. Uh, I think Paul is being intentional here. If you look back to verse 2 uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, you'll see Paul defending the, the apostles' ministry. 
He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I mean, what does that sound like? It sounds like the opposite of what happened in the garden, doesn't it? Paul and his brothers are refusing to act like the serpent, not out of cunning, but they're sticking to the truth. They are clinging to God's word. What is that but actions consistent with the true image of God? Uh, that's to act like those who are being transformed and are being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, my point is that privileging the truth like Paul and the other apostles is an, abund is an abundant mindset. Uh, because it doesn't look, uh, it doesn't think out of fear, but out of the generosity of the truth found in the gospel. Uh, beloved, we, we have to cultivate a mindset for the truth. If we're ever going to be generous, we have to cultivate this mindset. Uh, one of the ways we do that um, is by really, truly listening to God's word as it is proclaimed to us every Sunday. Yes, we, we grapple with God's word every day, but, but, but particularly on Sunday, God speaks to us through his minister. And, and the question is, are we truly listening? Do we let the truth of God shape our thinking? Or does it go in one ear and out the other? The more, uh, the more we see Jesus as the true prophet, uh, the more we will think in abundance. Uh, because as the true prophet of God, Jesus liberates the mind from thinking for itself to thinking for God and for others. Uh, Jesus frees us from selfish thoughts and brings us to think of others more significant than ourselves, to use Paul's language. Um, you know, that, that sounds, sometimes that sounds like Christianese. It sounds all good and dandy. Uh, but, but I fear that, that sometimes we can turn God's word and into something else, into, into pithy slogans, something that we just gloss over because we're so familiar with them. And so I'll, I'll ask, uh, you know, do you actually think in abundance when you're in times of scarcity? When you have very little money, when your resources are running low, when there's not enough toilet paper for everyone, when God is calling you to deny yourself and pick up your cross for your family, what is your mindset? Do you think in abundance or do you think in scarcity? <clears throat> uh, the gospel says you have an abundant God you can trust. That even in death, God will give you life. And that should, that should change everything for us. 
It changes the way we should think about our relationships, the way we give our resources, the way we live. Uh, because the gospel isn't just a faraway story that doesn't touch down to reality. Uh, it's not just a story to inspire us or motivate us. Uh, nor is it a story just for us to abstract doctrines from. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, doctrines are important, but they are not the goal. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, is meant to change our character. It's meant to transform us into his image. That's the goal. Uh, from an image of scarcity to an image of abundance. Uh, I would say that a gospel that doesn't actually change us isn't the true gospel of the Lord. Um, the gospel has a goal, and it's not simply to bring us to heaven when we die. It's to make us like Jesus the Lord. Uh, the gospel conforms us to the true and perfect image of Christ. Anything short of that is no good news at all. And this change is most apparent when we are in the midst of adversity, when God actually, uh, when God actually does uh, put us in places of scarcity. Uh, how, how do we think in those situations it says something about our commitment to the gospel? our commitment to God himself? Uh, do we still think in abundance when there's nothing left? Uh, can you think of any, any stories in the Bible where, where this abundant mindset is still present despite of a situation of nothingness, a situation of scarcity? Um, go ahead and unmute everyone. Job. What? Job. Job. What about Job? He had everything taken away from him, and he was faithful, and it was returned tenfold to him. How about the Lord gives and he takes away? Blessed be the Lord, right? Good. How about Elisha with the widow, with the oil and stuff that didn't run out? Nice. And, and with the ravens bringing him, was that Elijah? Elijah. With the ravens? I can't remember which one was which. <laughs> um, ravens and in the wilderness there. But that oil and water not running out. That The oil and the stuff with the widow that he told, fill all the jars and 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 live off of that that was really a good picture of that yeah you trust god in, in when nothing is there yeah i can't help but think of the the woman with the flask who is anointing christ before his crucifixion yeah, because the reaction of the apostles is like their scarcity like we could have sold that no we we so much of money that. and and Christ blessed her for having chosen the greater portion, which was her affection and devotion to Christ mm -hmm. in offering that to him, right? Her deeds in that moment um, showed somehow abundance, right? She knew that Christ was truly 
everything that she needed all of like all of her abundance was right there and the oil was nothing it was worldly yeah that's good that's good another one that comes to mind is Gideon when he went against the Midianites and he had started with a lot of men but it was only what 300 by the time all the culling was done more or less mm -hmm. like the fact that you know that the strength in the army was not in the numbers but it was directly from the Lord yeah. okay um, those are all great reflections and I think like the more we look for that the more we'll see it all over the place in the Bible right and obviously it's Christ himself ultimately uh, who is who is that figure that all of these other uh, stories point to. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and mute everyone. Uh, yeah, think of the poor widow in the Synoptic Gospels, right? Uh, Jesus sees a bunch of rich people putting, uh, putting in extravagant amount of money in the offering. Uh, but they are not the ones that stand out to Jesus. Uh, their money wasn't impressive to Jesus. A poor widow is the one who stands out to, to Jesus. All she had was two mites or two very small coins, chump change. She had nothing, but she gave out of her poverty, Jesus says. Um, Jesus says this, truly, I tell you, this poor widow, widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Uh, here's a woman who truly sees the gospel, who, who truly thinks after the gospel. She's a woman who lived out of the generosity of the Lord. Uh, yes, she had nothing, but that didn't stop her from giving. Uh, so I wonder how many of us think that way? How many of us uh, say, you know, I, ha I have nothing, I have barely have anything, but I'm willing to give for the sake of other people, right? I, I think, I suspect that most of us aren't there. And so we need, what we need is the gospel over and over again. We need to see Christ as the pattern for generosity and strive to follow him uh, in his generous thinking. Uh, that we might be more and more like him. Uh, that's, that's what an abundance mindset looks like on, you know, kind of an individual level. <clears throat> but we also know what this kind of thinking looks like on a corporate uh, level, don't we? Uh, we went through the epistle to the Philippians together. The Philippians thought like the poor widow on a congregational scale. Uh, they had this mindset together as a body. We're going to give even if we have nothing. Even if we have very little, we are going to give. Why? Uh, because they knew the words of Christ, the prophet. It is more blessed to give than to receive. They were cheerful givers, according to Paul, because they were convinced that they had the riches of heaven in the gospel. You see, that's what an abundance mentality looks like for a congregation. Uh, 
what would our congregation look like if we had that mentality, you know, especially during this time? Uh, can we put ourselves uh, lower, right? Put others above ourselves during this time? Because that's what an abundance mentality looks like. How do we put our fears aside for the sake of our brothers and our sisters? Uh, beloved, may we cultivate an abundance mindset uh, because that was Jesus's mindset. And if you're a follower of Jesus, there's nothing greater. There's nothing more, uh, more delightful to know that we are becoming more and more like him and thinking more and more like him. All right, so does anybody have any final questions uh, before I end in prayer? I'm gonna go ahead and unmute everyone. Questions, comments, rebuttals. Uh, what, what were those seven elements of the gospel? <laughs> Uh, there were eight. Oh, uh, eight. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was seven or eight. That's okay. Um, yeah, let, let me give them to you again. If, if it helps you too, I mean, just go read the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. All of them are in there. Um, but one is that the Son of God preexisted with the Father, right? Two, he took on flesh, fulfilling God's promises to David. Three, he died for sins in accordance in accordance with the scriptures. Four, he was buried. Um, five, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Six, he appeared to many after he was raised. Um, seven, he is now seated at the right hand of God as Lord. And, and eight, he will come again as judge and king. No questions? No comments? Already, I'll go ahead and mute everyone and, and in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you all the praise for revealing to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that the light of the gospel has now shone brightly in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, continue to illumine our minds this morning as we prepare to worship you. Open our ears to hear and eyes to see. May we cling to the truth that you are indeed generous beyond our wildest imagination. And may we, in return, uh, think in the same uh, way that, Lord, you have uh, you have given us more than uh, we deserve. Lord, we, we pray that you would be with us. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. Amen.